I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And joined as usual in the cockpit of this magnificent flying machine. Uh, by Awesome Ward. You know him as Austin Ward. His call sign is awesome, though. Awesome. Welcome again to the Tim May Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. That's terse. See, I've talked to you before we started. I want to be terse today. You know, leaving I'm the room. I got, I got an interview coming up with uh, Kirk Herbstreet. He's going to be in the stadium on Saturday night. He and Chris Fowler are going to be calling uh, the, the highlight game of the week, Ohio State versus Penn State. Not quite as big a highlight game as it was looking this time a week ago or this time two weeks ago. Uh, yep. But nonetheless, it's a, the next hurdle on Ohio State's uh, race to get back to the college football playoff, which means to get back to the Big Ten championship game, which means to uh, win out the rest of this season. And uh, I think what we saw on Saturday night in Indiana in the rain, the rain looked like it was going to blow out of there, but it never did really totally <laughs> blow out of there. But there was a blowout, and it was Ohio State once again taking care of business against Indiana, I got to ask you, you know, we all made our picks before the game. I think you're, I think you had a pick. Uh, where did I see it? I think I heard it on, uh, on morning juice or somewhere, but you had them in the fifties, didn't you? I think in that game, Ohio state, uh, what, what compelled you to pick Ohio state into the fifties? This is the best offense I've ever seen. Uh, and I don't know that any, I don't know that any defense can stop it. You know, I think, yeah, you know, I'm keeps saying that he wants to see Ohio State, Georgia. I think we're going to see that. And then it'll be fascinating to see if the best defense in America, what it can do against one of the most explosive outfits that I have ever seen. And every week they're getting better and they're doing things they hadn't shown before. And they're, you know, yep. Jeremy Ruckert was an afterthought. And like, well, all right, all right, here you go. Here's the tight end. Here's a couple touchdowns. Like, that's the next element. It's just crazy. Um, so, as you said on, on the, your podcast here last week, like Indiana was probably the best defense that they were had faced to this point. I think Minnesota's got a solid claim in there as well. And Oregon, yeah. they were shorthanded. It's like, it's not like they did this to some nobodies. Um, and they just, I don't know. It, it's wild to watch the development of this offense. Yeah. And now that they're playing defense, definitely big time defense. I mean, yeah, the challenges are going to be bigger. You know, I posted on uh on Twitter on Sunday of this week of how Ohio State was number one in the country in total offense, number one in scoring, you know, average, I think it's 49.3 points per game, uh, well over 500 yards per game offense, but also how they gave up, what was it, 66 points in the first two games to the opponent. Uh, and uh, in the last, I guess the last five opponents, they've given up 64. And everybody's thinking I'm making a declaration that everything's all well. No, I just stated facts, you know, uh, stats. But the bottom line is there's, yeah. there's no doubt that this defense is playing better, uh, much better than even three games ago, just getting after people, taking away what they want to do, what they want to try to do first. And uh, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to watch this develop right before your eyes, isn't it? Awesome. Yeah, and I think, look, there's also a case to be made that Minnesota 
despite one aberration that I have no idea how that happened with Bowling Green, they're a pretty darn good team. Yeah. And they're now a real threat to win the Big Ten West. And Oregon, uh, you know, for whatever I might have thought about their offense going to that game, they've turned out to be a pretty solid team as well. So those were two teams that were probably not getting the credit that they deserved for early in the year and while Ohio State was dealing with these, you know, so much inexperience and, and learning on the job and, and on the fly and all that, all those cliches, like they were young and not potentially ready. And you can tell, I don't care who they played in the last four or five games. It's unmistakable how much better this team is that in whatever you can't quantify with those numbers that you just used, yeah. uh, the, the fun quotient that they're having, the swagger that they carry themselves all of it being around this team is dramatically different in a month. And I, I say this all the time to you and Berm and Spencer, like I don't, I'm not, if somebody doesn't believe that and they want to wait for Penn state or Michigan state or Michigan, or, or they don't care if tell the playoff, that's fine. I'm not going to try and convince you. Otherwise I'm just passing along what I see and what I see and observe and note and just the general vibe around them has yeah. just been a complete turnaround from week two. Yeah, I was going to say somebody uh, came back at me uh, the other, you know, the other day of saying, well, what about that first drive that Indiana had? I, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me you're going to take what you took away from that game defensively for Ohio State was the first drive Indiana had in that game, and you quit watching after that? I mean, well, too bad for you. You missed a hell of a entertaining football game if you like to watch offense. I'm talking about Ohio State's offense, and that's what Kirk and I – get into right now, just like you talked about, uh, you know, just a minute ago, this may be the best offense in Ohio State history by the end of the year. I, I think there will be, you will be able to make that argument if things continue on the upward trend. That doesn't mean they're always going to put up 500 plus yards a game and 50 plus points a game, but uh, boy, that sure is trending that direction also. Obviously, Penn State offers a much different challenge this week, especially from a defensive point of view. Uh, Penn State, what's wrong with Penn State right now? It's not necessarily its defense. For sure, it's trying to find some offense. But uh, you and I are going to come back. We're going to chop that up a little bit more. But uh, uh, Kirk and I got into that some. Uh, and it was an interesting interview because I'm, I'm, uh, we recorded the interview on Zoom while he was driving. He and his dog were driving from Cincinnati to Nashville. And it actually turned out to be uh, quite entertaining, uh, number one. And number two, it's a first for the Tim May podcast to uh, get a guy agile, mobile, and hostile on all at the same time and lose very little signal strength during that time. I think you'll enjoy it. Awesome. I can't wait. Well, here we go. Without further ado, here's my uh, talk with a, with a Tim May podcast, irregular, but regular enough for me to call him a, 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 a pal, Kirk Herbstreet. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, another command performance on the Tim May podcast from Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk, I know you're agile, mobile, and hostile right now as we talk, but I appreciate you coming back home, my man. Glad to be with you. Glad to be with you. Great to talk uh, college football. What a crazy year it's been. Yeah. And uh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, to his back right there uh, uh, is his trusty dog, Ben. Uh, much like our trusty dog, Bert. Our, our dog's only two and a half years old. Uh, ben looks like he's getting on up there, but uh, nothing better than a good old retriever. Correct, Kirk? Oh, it's, they're, they're the best, man. Ben, ben is the patriarch of our family. I report to him. He's uh He's my man. I'm, I'm just on a, on a quick drive. Eyes are on the road, by the way. Yes. You're over here. Eyes yes. are over here. Everybody relax. I'm not a distracted driver. 
Um, so I am, uh, yeah, Ben is, wherever I go, Ben goes with me. I have three gold retrievers, and Ben is, uh, he's my guy, man. He's, he's the best. Yeah, well, my wife and I have been married so long, we're on our fourth retriever, and uh, he's a black lab, but uh, uh, nothing beats retrievers, and especially the lab uh, version. We had a golden when we first got, when we first met and stuff, and loved him too, uh, Brandy. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I'll just jump right into it. I didn't get too too much on dogs like you guys do sometimes on those uh play-by-play broadcasts uh but uh, i'm glad you i'm glad you were stunned when they were talking about pocket dogs being the best <laughs> i know i i didn't want to crush reese but uh yeah i mean I, I i let him go i think he liked a standard poodle but uh for me like you said retrievers and i mean like they're humans basically you know they're they're uh, they're the best, but I'm a I'm a dog guy. Whatever kind of dog you have, God bless you. They're all great. Amen. You know, we got a couple of cats. You can have any one of them. Your pick. Come on over, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah. By the way, my as I as I told you earlier, our black lab is upstairs sleeping in his favorite recliner right now. So that they are almost human. Uh, they are, That's but they awesome. do they do obey you most of the time. That's what I like about them. Hey, yeah, Kirk. Uh, Real quick, let's just jump into this Ohio State-Penn State game, and then we'll move on to a couple other items. But uh, uh, Ohio State is on a roll, no doubt about it. I think in your little uh, – your top four this week, I think you had Ohio State number two in the country again. Maybe I read that wrong. But uh, what was your top four after uh, after the past weekend's games all settled out? Well, for, first of all, with the top four, you know, still early to me. I mean, yeah. what, until you really get into the mid part of November – my, my top four are very fluid. Um, you know, I, I, I've looked at Ohio State. I did not have them in, in my top two. In fact, I may have had them at four or five last week. But they've been trending in a direction after their loss to Oregon in a very, very positive direction. Two areas that they've improved is just the obvious. C.J. Stroud has gotten more experience. Not that he was playing bad. You're right. Um, I, th- <laughs> I thought he's played great the whole year. I think it was just more of – I just feel, and I'm sure you do too, just in an aura of confidence. Like he just looks like he's had an aha moment. Like, you know, I think the Oregon game where he still was balling and throwing, I don't know, what did he throw for 400 yards or whatever it was? 484. um, 484 second most ever in Ohio State history. Yeah. If that's a bad day, you know, because I I know uh, talking to some people in Columbus, some of the folks up there have been a little bit, uh, concerned with him early in the year, uh, some fans. And I'm like, what are they concerned about? The guy's never attempted a college pass. And now all of a sudden he's in Ryan Day's system. And, yeah, he's got a lot of talent around him. But just, let's, let's let the guy get a few games under his belt. And now now he has. And yeah. now he just looks like a guy with answers. Um, so that's the big thing is C.J. Stroud now has experience. So he's a different guy. And then this defense – that has obviously been the big question mark after the Oregon game. To me, it was really after the Alabama game more than the Oregon game. Um, They've they've kind of settled in. I still don't know how good they are. I don't think they know how good they are. They will find out in the coming weeks. But the, the, you know, the the linebacker play with Simon uh, and Chambers, I think, has helped, um, you know, rotating them in more. The defensive line looks like it's playing much, much better. And, and start to take games over. And if that happens for any defense, you can obviously be better a better group. But so anyway, they, they just look to be – I watch every team every week. Uh, I have for 26 years. That's the best part of my job. Yeah. And I would just say that um, 
they are just how would you not I mean you could debate it Alabama Cincinnati Michigan uh, you know Oklahoma you could maybe get into a debate with who you think that second third fourth or fifth team might be but for me I had Ohio State at two I had Alabama at three and I had Cincinnati at four Michigan at five Oklahoma at six so um, it's it, what makes this year to me Tim so great is it's wide open still it's crazy even in the big it is we, here we are with five or six weeks to go and there are a lot of teams still thinking about winning winning championships dude illinois got beat by maryland which right. and then illinois beats penn state at penn state sean clifford returned clearly wasn't even i don't even know if he was 90 percent, much less 100 percent. but uh uh you're i mean you know, we'll talk about how crazy things are nationally in this second, but I wanted, you know, what as you watched Ohio, the Illinois uh, Penn State game, a little, you know, whatever you've seen of it. I mean, Penn State did not look like the team it was uh, three weeks earlier. Obviously, they lost to Iowa, lost Clifford in that game, middle of the game. He came back and valiantly tried to play. But uh, what's just your take on them as they head into this game this week? Which, by the way, uh, you and Chris Fowler are both going to be in Columbus to call that game that night, but uh, on Saturday night. But what's what's just your take on Penn State right now? I've been around Penn State a bunch this year. I, I you know, I was really excited to see Mike Yursich get in there, and you guys know Mike from when he was yeah. in Columbus, and he and he brings in a very different uh, offensive attack than what they had a year ago. Uh, I know in talking to Sean quite a bit, he he has been fired up because it's turning him loose, you know, to be able to attack downfield more now. Last week, it's it's an outlier based on the way they played all year. Even the Iowa game, they played pretty well until he got hurt. Then it was yeah. it was a debacle. Um, and I, the only thing I can put my finger on is you said it. You know, he's clearly not at hundred percent. I don't know if Mike was overly concerned. Hey, let's just win this game with defense, and you know we're playing Illinois. Let's not do anything crazy. I don't. I, maybe that was the approach. Let's not lose it on offense. Let's not put Sean in a in a place where he could get injured. Um, I don't know what I, – I, I haven't talked with James yet, James Franklin. Um, but that that was as, as big a shocker as Kansas being up on Oklahoma three-quarters into that game in Lawrence. Um, but, yeah, I Penn State is still a dangerous team. I can assure you of that. Their, their defense, I feel like, will be the best defense that Ohio State has played up to this point. Uh, Brent Pry, their defensive coordinator, is outstanding. They will attack. They'll be very creative. This is the week we're really going to see uh, where C.J. Stroud, how much we all think he's improved, because I think we has, but he's going to see some a lot more complicated defense. Um, I know Ryan Day will put him in a position to be successful, but it's going to be a fun challenge to see how he handles uh, some of the, the zone blitzes. They're going to show blitz, back out, hide blitz, and bring it late. And so it's going to require – all these reps that he's had up to this point uh, will be tested by that defense. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is Clifford coming back to Ohio. You know, he grew up uh, down in Cincinnati, played at St. X. The last time he came into that stadium as a starting quarterback at Penn State, he got benched. Will Levis, his backup, now the starter at Kentucky, <laughs> came into the game, actually made made a game of it. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 I know he's got a chip on his shoulder about that game. I know being an Ohio guy, anytime you come back, you're, you're really fired up. And I think Sean Clifford's going to be no different. Now, how healthy will he be? How does he feel? Remains to be seen. 
Uh, and then I just don't want Ohio State fans or players to be lulled to sleep because Penn State lost to Illinois, and Illinois is not any good. Now, you know how this game works. Oh, yeah. Teams from, teams from one week to the other are very different. And under the lights on national TV, on ABC, um, Penn State's going to come in sky high and anxious to get that bad taste out of their mouth. The last two times they've been out, they've lost, you know, to Iowa, Kinnick, and, and then uh, last week at home to Illinois. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I'm watching that game, uh, Kirk, and I just – I'm going, wait a minute, these are your best two-point conversion plays? <laughs> you know, and then, but the one throwback to Sean Clifford probably might have won that game, but, he, you know, he couldn't get to it and it was a bad throw. But I'm just going – I just – you know what I'm saying? What's I mean, up with – What's up with this rule, this new I – I just don't like it. It's like uh, – it, it, I think – I think I understand you're trying to hurry up the game. The A&M-LSU game from years ago went on for 10 hours. Um, you know, and yeah. they just said, okay, we got to figure out a way to end these games. But I'm not a fan of going two-point play to two-point play. It, it's just so unrealistic. Teams only carry a handful of two-point plays to begin with. I just don't think it's a fair way to – determine a football game. I just – I didn't like it at all. I agree 150%. And number two, it's kind of like when hockey goes to that little five-minute overtime and they don't – they don't – they don't settle it and then they just go to penalty shots. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of like yeah. that little puck just jumped and went right over the goalie's glove and suddenly you've won a game like you – like you won the game nine to nothing. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm, a, I'm with you 100%. I, I don't like it either. But, but they had to do something because – you know, like remember, remember uh, when Eli was at Ole Miss in Arkansas, they went what five or six of those things, and it was those guys were dragging off the field that night. And uh, like you said, Texas yeah, A&M, LSU, yeah. what a that was crazy. Yeah. So I can understand that, like, that but there, but there's you I, know in this I society, think, I, you got to have a winner and a loser. You know, go ahead. I, I think the answer is I think you're on. They're on the right track. I think the first two overtimes you play it straight up. You know, just let it play. And I think the third overtime, continue to make them start, you know, at, what is it, the 20, 25? 25-yard line. 25-yard yeah. line. Make them start at the 25. And then if you score a touchdown, you got to go for two. I just think you you push that original rule just back to the third overtime. You know? And I think that way you at least still have to earn a chance to get points. I just I just think going to, to two-point plays just yeah. a rough way uh, – to, 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 to determine uh, the outca- outcome of a football game. So but, yeah. hopefully that, that example will help change the rule next year. But you were, you were down on the field, I think, doing some pregame stuff. I remember seeing the video you shot of the uh, – of the uh, I'm not sure if those are fairways or putting greens that is the Rose Bowl uh, field because it is always the most immaculate grass you've ever seen. But you were down there when, yeah. when this game was getting settled. I'm talking about Illinois Penn State. You were still stunned, weren't you, that that oh, I, that, I pin, that Illinois was in the game. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 because I said on my, when I was doing it, I said, man, yeah. it's been a crazy day. We've had Oklahoma. I said, Penn State, as I'm speaking to you, they're, they're back and forth with Illinois. And I get upstairs into the booth, and they're in, like, the fourth overtime. Or, no, they're actually just going to overtime. Yeah. Right when I got to the booth, they were just going to overtime. Because that game was on ABC leading to our game at 3.30, UCLA and Oregon. So I'm thinking, okay, an overtime or two, Penn State will win. They'll throw it out to us. So we start our broadcast. One of the 
things I love about my job is while I'm calling the game, I've got a TV, a bank of TVs uh, in my booth so I can watch other games as I'm calling the game I'm calling. Yeah. So I'm watching, calling UCL Oregon, watching like this, uh, you know, every time there's, you know, a quick chance to check, I'm like looking over watching every 30 seconds at the Penn State Illinois game. So I'm watching that game, digesting that calling my game. I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of it. And I, so I, I was able to see all the overtimes. I'm sitting there trying to like not get mad because what I'm watching is just a debacle. You know, all these two point plays, it was just so sloppy. And um, yeah. plus we started, we started our broadcast on ESPN news and, you know, like 17 people watching and I'm like, all right, let's flip over, you know, get that game over with. So we want to go to, ABC and it just kept going and going, yeah, yeah. And going. you know it was it was crazy but yeah I'm not a fan of that rule I hope it changes next year yeah we'll see what happens man uh you know uh, college football up until like the last couple of years has been like a glacier you know moving very slow but with global warming glaciers are moving faster and so is the NCAA and changing stuff but I want to get I want to ask you well, how would you explain up until now because the word I keep using about this football season across the nation and even in the Big Ten Crazy is the word I keep using because there you cannot you you cannot consider any game, e- even Georgia. I'm I'm waiting for a team to score thirty points on them and see what happens. I'm not sure a team will. You know, it might be Ohio State in a championship game or something. But uh, but how would you explain what you, what you're seeing uh, this year? I mean, you've you've seen it up close and personal. I love it. I mean, we're coming off a COVID year where we had no fans or very few fans in the stadium. We were all anxious just to get back to tailgating and marching bands and fans in the stadium. Just that alone was going to be exciting. And one of the, to me, the, the, the things that's a little bit of a hang up for the sport is here we go. New year, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, who else is going to be up there? And right away, man, you know, Clemson goes down week one to Georgia. They're obviously off the radar. Alabama loses to Texas A&M. Ohio State loses to Oregon. Um, Oklahoma's been on the, on the ropes yeah. every week. Seems like it, the sport is as unpredictable this year as it's ever been. And I love it. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's outstanding. It's, it, 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 there's nothing you can take for granted. Um, home stadiums and home field advantages are back. Uh, teams feeling like they, they've got something to prove every week is back in this sport. So, yeah. you know, I, I follow it coast to coast every week, and I, I can't remember a year. Maybe it's because I'm coming off the COVID year last year, but I cannot remember a year. I, I've just appreciated the sport more than this year. It's been fantastic. And, um, and we still got, whatever it is, another five or six weeks to go with, uh, with a lot of surprises. The only thing we know for sure, you touched on Georgia, is that Georgia right now could change. Right now, they're kind of a cut above everybody else. Um, and it's because their defense is so good. And the one thing, Tim, you can appreciate this. I've, I've been around Georgia a lot this year. Sometimes, you, like that Brable, Fickle team back in the Silver Bullets, sometimes you get around a team – yeah. And it's not just, wow, they got a lot of talented players or, wow, they got a lot of five stars. Yeah. A lot of teams have talented players. Yeah. Once in a while, you get around a team, they love each other. They love their coaches. They love to practice. 
They're unselfish. They don't care about the NFL. They don't care about name, image, and likeness. All those things maybe are there in their world, but it's not the priority. The priority is whether they're playing Vanderbilt or Alabama, they don't care. They yeah. are so excited to go play on a given Saturday. It's, and it's genuine. Now, they could get upset, but I've loved being around the team of, of Georgia because they have that aspect to go along with. A lot of NFL players are on that defense, but they're not driven by NFL. They're not driven by individuality, and that's so refreshing and so good to get around an excellent elite team that just wants to play on a Saturday and just wants to beat up whoever they play. So they're a real team. We'll see if they end up, you know, winning out. But uh, for now, that's an easy team to root for. They're fun. Hey, you know, uh, real quick, uh, uh, just test on you can you can be around a team a little while and pick up on whether they're special or not. You know, like you just said, doesn't guarantee you're going to win every game. This Ohio State team right now has got something going, man. I think it's because they've played so many guys on defense at the beginning of the year and paid their dues for that. Also went through that ridiculous, you know, uh, overhaul, took it as, as I've uh, explained it. Uh, Ryan Day demanded the defense come into the garage, put the hood up, and overhaul. You know, go through a major overhaul, including the lead mechanic, uh, which was pretty, pretty key to that as much as anything else. Uh, basically putting Matt Barnes, in essence, in charge. You know, Kerry Combs took a side seat there. Kerry Combs, tough, 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 tough love for him and stuff, but he's he's endured it. Like he said, he's a team guy. He understands what it's all about, you know. Uh, but but I've, ever since then, I've just – there's just something about this team that's been special to me, even after the, they kind of, you know, won kind of like a tough – Tough game against Tulsa, but they won going away finally in the end, forty-one to twenty. But but since that since that game on, there's been a different feel to this team. And you watching it from a from sort of afar, what is do you sense the same kind of feel? My man's moving in here. He's yeah. uh, he's checking things. You know what, Tim? I never heard um, that analogy about you know looking under the hood and changing the, the head mechanic and. and I know you love uh, auto racing. Yeah. I really, I really love that analogy. As you said that, I was just picturing that, and I, I think that's spot on. You know, I mean, and, and imagine in the indie world how challenging that would be. You know, in the in the middle of the series to to take you know a look under the hood and say, okay, uh, you're you're the lead mechanic and you're out. You know, you're gonna you're gonna still have a role. You're gonna have a role here, but we're going to bring in this guy over here and now he's going to, he's going to fix it. Um, so a couple, couple things, adversity and, and going through that as a group is either going to divide you or it's going to bring you together. We've seen that in team sports forever. And to me, what we've seen up to this point is they got crushed locally and nationally for how their defense was playing for about three weeks. And Ryan Day stood right there. And remember that really, you were in the room. Yeah. Remember how candid he was, which is very rare to hear a coach say, I mean, he held people accountable publicly. Usually yeah. it's like, ah, oh, you know, well, we'll see. You know, we'll, we're going to talk about it behind the scenes, but you guys will find out when you find out. He didn't do that. And so that's the first thing how Ryan Day handled it publicly and how he just 
called it as it as it is. And then how Carrie Coombs publicly talked about what am I going to do? Tell these kids to handle adversity and then not handle ver- adversity myself. Yeah. I thought that press conference was the press conference of the year yeah. to hear a defensive coordinator instead of like passing the buck or, Hey, I don't want to talk to the media, man. He, he just stood right there. And to me, what an incre- that, that may sound easy, but let me tell you, that is not, that's unprecedented yeah. to see a defensive coordinator get demoted in the middle of a, of a, of a championship caliber season run. And to, for him to handle it the way he has, he could have been a, a pain in the ass about it, you know, and, and oh, yeah. he's been a team guy. And, and I think that's been huge. So how Ryan Day, how Kerry Coombs handled it. And then I think the biggest thing, I, the players that are recruited by what they have and to, to hear them or for them to have to hear all that negative negativity around that program. Again, it's either going to get you to point fingers at each other or it's going to get you to come together, like basically screw the world. It's us against everybody. Let's go show these, you know, what's who we are. And I, I feel like that's what they've done. Now, the tests will get bigger. The, the offenses will be more challenging. The, the, the stress and the, uh, the amount of pressure they're going to be playing with will become greater. Maybe they play even better. I don't know. We, we don't know. We're learning week by week as we watch them. But I think the defensive line, as I said earlier, is playing better. The Williams kid is obviously, along with Haskell Garrett in the middle, that's a, that's a heck of a tandem inside now. Yep. Um, you know, I, I still think the edge pressure needs to become more consistent and more dominant. I mean, Ohio State, we've been so spoiled with, with first Joey Bosa, then Nick, and Chase Young, Larry Johnson, is that Chase Hubbard. I mean, just think about the guys that have been through that room. And, you know, that becomes, when you do it for that many years, that becomes the expectation. Yeah. And when it doesn't happen, it's, man, what's wrong with Ohio State's defense kind of thing? And so – that yeah. room, to me, holds the key to the entire season. If that room can continue to grow and continue to dominate the way they have in recent weeks, then I think we'll be talking about one hell of a story with the Ohio State defense, not just them as a team. But uh, I, I sense the same stuff you're sensing. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's a tight-knit group. I think they're unselfish. they got a lot of superstars on the offensive side that seem to have a very humble approach. And when you, when your superstars have a humble approach as a way of permeating all the way through the entire roster. And so there's a lot to be excited about and uh, can't wait to see, you know, they play Penn state Saturday and in the second half of the season, can't wait to see what they continue to do. Hey, I'm not going to put you on the spot with this question, but uh, cause I keep getting asked this question. Who's the best receiver I've ever seen at Ohio state. Uh, I always say Chris Carter by default just because he's in the you know, Pro Football Hall of Fame, <laughs> you know, et cetera, could catch the ball blindfolded uh, with one hand reaching, you know, back behind him, uh, so to speak. But uh, I had Demetrius Stanley on my podcast last week, and he mentioned Terry Glenn in 95 was as good as he's ever seen there. I agree with that. And they've had all these other guys, Santonio Holmes, I mean, right on down the line, just a, a slew of guys. What, what sets Chris Olave apart, in your opinion? Because I don't believe – I believe he's among the elite that they've ever had there. I wouldn't put necessarily one over the other. What just sets him apart real quick? 
Um, I think he's as smooth a route runner as I've seen at Ohio State in a long time. Yeah. I think he has intelligence that I think really pays for him. When I watch him, I feel like he's not like a 4-2 guy or a, you know, a guy that's going to blow you away you know, with a certain skill set. And he has tremendous skill set, don't get me wrong. But I just feel like the system, the knowledge, the experience, and the instincts, and then the hands – yeah. Um, he's just kind of he's just kind of a total package kind of guy, you know. I mean, there's just in the last I don't know four years. I mean, since Urban got there, the receivers. I mean, you're going all the way back to CC, and you know, you, you got Terry Glenn, you got Joey Galloway. I mean, you, you've got oh, so yeah. many guys there. Um, but I I love watching this guy run his routes. Yeah. I just feel like I think that's what Chris. Chris was ahead of his time. Chris Carter, his route running and things he was doing, you know, back in the 80s. Here we are in 2021. And I think Brian Hartline, man, yeah. I, I, you know, I know you talk about him locally. I don't know if people realize not just the recruiting that Brian Hartline does, but his knowledge is a player and, and a recent player. And some of the, the cheat code route running stuff that he, that he teaches his guys, yeah. you know, like how to use their eyes to come out of breaks and how to, how to set a guy up. And the, the thing, the drill work that they do that then pays off in games. So I, I think Olave is an unbelievable talent, but I think he's a great example. If you're willing put work in what in, in this system and that's a rowdy of jills he just adjusts to the ball like he's in practice on a wednesday he just catches it just yeah flips the ball to the ref you know it's so chill uh about everything he does uh god i love that kid i, I yeah. really really love i'm so proud of him that he came back this year uh, he seems to be on a mission. Uh, he and Garrett Wilson and Jigba, they, 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 they all collectively are the best trio of receivers, I can assure you, in the country. There's nobody close. And, um, you know, they, they seem to have a pipeline going, man, with high school talent, comes to Ohio State. Ryan Hartline works with them. Ryan Day has a system. They got quarterbacks. And every year, Ohio State's up near the top of the country with receiver play. And these three right now are, are kind of – to me, setting the bar for the whole country. Hey, yeah, real quick. I know I say this, but every time I talk to you, man, I just I love talking about football, and I love talking about football with you. Uh, I keep telling everybody, take a take a snapshot of this Ohio State offense. Uh, this is the golden era. This this is the golden era of offense at Ohio yeah. State, uh, and this may be the best of it all. I mean, leading the leading the nation right now in offense and also in scoring. But I mean, you got a Travion Henderson. Oh my goodness! I mean. You know, uh, people are talking about him for the Heisman. I don't think he's had as many carries as Eddie George had in one game, you know, so far. Uh, but but you know, I'm being a little hyperbolic there, but it's it's crazy the effectiveness he is running with. Uh, I mean, it, and in this offensive line, uh, I call them the stuff of hocking hills, the blocking hills, because, oh, my goodness, it's it's crazy how, how yeah. good and how much better they can even be. It, this is one of those eras, isn't it, uh, Kirk? It, it, it's an era. It's not a season. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it's been it's been a run. I mean, I, I love Urban and what Urban did for Ohio State is is legendary. Obviously, um, you know his seven years. We all have such fond memories of of those teams, and I love I love JT Barrett, man. I, I just love the kid. I love his leadership. Yeah. I think one of the most decorated players in Ohio State history. But they were running a lot of QB power in those days. You know, they were running a lot. It was just, it was a lot of just a different way of attacking. And Ryan Day, I mean, let's just take a step back. When Ryan Day, who's never been a head coach, stepped in for those three games, uh, I can't remember if it was, was it 2018? 2018. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 2018. And he never had any coaching experience. He steps in for those three games. I don't know how many people out there, because they didn't know Ryan Day. Right. How many people would have ever imagined that Ryan Day, a year later, would would be handed the keys to become the head coach? And he he takes the baton, and if anything, if anything, he not only lives up to the lofty expectations that Jim Trestle before Urban and then Urban Meyer, and, and then you've got, okay, Ryan Day, you're the guy. If anything, the recruiting is maintained or gone higher, right? Yes. The, the offensive style with Dwayne Haskins and then Justin Fields and now C.J. Stroud with the receivers play that they've had, um, how they attack you. They've attacked in different ways from Haskins, who was not, was, didn't have the mobility, but could sling it to go into Justin Fields, who could be a runner or a thrower, to now going back to C.J. Stroud, who's clearly more comfortable throwing it around. Um, so he, he's shown an ability to, hey, it's not like this is my system, this is what I do. No, no, no. He's adjusting to his talent that he has to work with. And then he's a motivator, man. He's like, oh, yeah. see him bouncing around, you know, bouncing around at halftime yeah. uh, at, at Indiana. He's got he's got juice to him. He's got energy that's real. These players clearly love him. I'm just saying the reason I give you all that is how lucky are we at Ohio State to have Ryan Day as a head coach, the way he represents the university, the way he carries himself, yeah. and then the job that he's doing in recruiting and, and the way these guys play, man. So, hey, they may lose a game or two down the way. I'm just saying the Buckeyes are very, very fortunate to have him. And I don't, my point is, I don't know if anybody could have ever predicted that because nobody knew him. I don't know if he could have predicted it, you know, before he got the opportunity, but here we are three years later, this guy is one of the top play callers in the country, one of the top recruiters in the country, one of the top head coaches in the country. And, um, you know, we as fans are just the the beneficiary of having him as the leader of of the school, this football team. So, yeah. Uh, I just can't say enough good things about him and, and just the vibe that he he uh, he kind of carries himself with and the way he does it. So I, you can tell I'm I'm all in on Ryan Day and, and, and uh, not just, again, the guy that he is. I just love guys that can adjust their attack to what they have to work with. And right now he's got an embarrassment of riches. Don't forget Rucker, the, the tight end. He's an NFL oh, yeah. probably – Got to play for 10 or 12 years in the NFL and be like a Mark Andrews for the for the Ravens kind of guy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been fun to watch this. And um, 
you know, he, he's probably just warming up. This this thing may just be going for a long time with him in, at the helm. We just don't want to ever lose him or hear any rumors about him going to the NFL to become a head coach or anything like that. I hope he, I hope he stays at Ohio State for, for many, many years to come. Hey, with the NIL, man, the NFL has kind of come – come to college football as opposed to the other way around. You know what I mean? So you got that to do with, but you're right. The entertainment factor of this current team or the last several teams from an offensive standpoint is off the charts. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I, I mean, you're entertained no matter what happens in the game. These guys have can strike like lightning. You know, they can struggle down the field, 11 play drives. The next time they get the ball back five plays, one of them's an incomplete pass and boom, they're in the end zone. It's crazy how they're Jekyll and Hyde almost in that regard, right? I, I heard him after last week's game saying, you know, this team starting to remind him a little bit of the 19 team. The only thing that didn't work out at 19 is we all wanted to see Ohio State's defense that year against Joe Burrow and, and the LSU offense. Yeah. Right? I mean, that yeah. would have been the matchup we would have been talking about forever. And uh, clearly – you know, that didn't, that didn't work out with the way that Clemson game, you know, the, the T. Higgins fumble and all that didn't work out. Now, here you go this year in 2021. I mean, if everybody just keeps winning, Ohio State doesn't, doesn't lose a game. If they get to the playoff, can you imagine the Ohio State offense instead of their defense? It's the Ohio State offense against that Georgia defense. Yeah. How much fun uh, that would be to watch, that firepower – on the Ohio State offense against the firepower on that Georgia defense. Man, that would be unbelievable. Now, we got a long way to go to get there. Yeah. But that would be when he when he said that, it made me think about that 2019 season and how close we got that matchup between Burrow uh, going up against his former team and Damon Arnett on one side, Jeffrey Okuda on the other, Chase Young. That that would have been a, a matchup for the ages. Maybe we'll get it this year with with uh, the Bucks offense against Georgia's D. Hey, well, all I can say is you're driving right now and you got your mind, you know, you're thinking about what's at the end of the line there, but you're also got your, your eyes on the road. You haven't hit anything yet. So that's what, that's what Ohio yeah. state has to do. You're right. Real quick before you go, is Michigan a surprise to you as Michigan, you know, has, has it come out of the doldrums? I mean, what is just your take right now, halfway through this season, obviously we're going to learn a lot about Michigan on Saturday against equally unbeaten Michigan state, but what, what, what's your take? Michigan State, to me, Michigan State has been the surprise. Yeah. Mel Tucker, the former Ohio State defensive back coach, going through the transfer portal uh, to bring in Kenneth Walker. Um, you know, he's got a quarterback that's playing really well. That's been a pleasant surprise uh, to see Michigan State playing. And now they get the Wolverines at home. We'll see, we'll see who ends up winning that. Michigan, I, I don't, I don't want to say they've been a surprise that they're unbeaten. It's been a surprise – how well they've played and how much confidence, how much confidence that they're playing with. Um, remember that year when it didn't work out for them, but that year, I think it was 16, 16. where they were talking about we're on the, re the revenge tour. And, you know, that was a very good team. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it, obviously Ohio state ended up beating them and, and they lost you know a, a game before that as well. But it, it's kind of that, that kind of team, this, this thing's picking up momentum. They're getting confident. Aiden Hutchison's kind of driving the bus, number 97. He's yeah. the, the guy is the, the, they're feeding off of his energy. And, um, it, you know, this week is when we really find out on the road 
rivalry game, Michigan State. This is the week we find out about not just Michigan, if they're real, but the quarterback. We know they can play defense. We know that they can run the ball. But for them to go where they think they want to go, Cade McNamara, their quarterback, and their passing game, without their top receiver, Ronnie Bell, who's out for the year, he, he's their version of, of, of a Chris Olave. He's a great player, but he's gone. Yeah. So can they, can they throw the ball well enough in these bigger games and be as efficient as they have been? They're not turning it over. They're creating turnovers. Can they do that in these games coming up against Michigan State? against Penn State, against Ohio State. So Cade McNamara, to me, and the Michigan wide receivers, they're the key. It would be interesting to see if they, can, if they can be balanced enough and make people pay for loading up against the run game. Because Mel Tucker, I promise you, without talking to him yet, he's going to put eight or nine guys at that line of scrimmage and say, okay, if you're going to beat us today, that quarterback and those receivers, they're going to have to beat us. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll see. I, kid's pretty darn good. So we'll, we'll see if he can do it. But uh, it's been fun to watch. I'm a big proponent of Ohio State and Michigan winning as many games as they can and may the best team win in late November. I, I love when it's like that. Yeah. And uh, we'll see if we get that in 2021. I hope we do. Yeah, that's the great thing about this season. You got Alabama and Georgia kind of on a collision course. They wouldn't play to the championship game. SEC, you've got Ohio State and Michigan on a collision course, if they can stay the course, you know, like you're talking about. I mean, it is crazy. That, that's why, you know, as crazy as this season is, there's still some tradition going on in there. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, I mean, when I was growing up in the 60s watching Alabama and Georgia, Vince Dooley, Georgia upsets Alabama the first game in 1965 and, you know, ruins my days. As I told everybody, that's the last time I, cl- I ever cried, though, without, when Alabama lost a football game. But Alabama ends up winning the national championship <laughs> at the end of the year because they decided to vote on the championship at the end. That was just the wire service polls in instead of uh, before the bowl games. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think this this is so cool. This is like a great mix of the new about college football and the old, right? Yeah, and, and speaking of tradition, Ohio State has Michigan. Alabama potentially has Georgia, but you know this better than anybody. yeah. yeah. Alabama's got Auburn at Jordan-Hare, and Auburn has a recipe and with Brian Harson, their new coach, coming over from Boise State. His style of offense, don't forget Alabama, who's having some issues right now on defense. That game against Auburn on the road could be tricky because if Bama slips up one more time, they're obviously out. Um, And Cincinnati, if you're a Bearcats fan, they look great right now. The rankings come out November 2nd, the, uh, the college football playoff rankings. But let's be honest, if, if Alabama wins out, Alabama and Georgia are probably both in. Yeah. If Ohio, whoever comes to the Big Ten as a champs in, there's three teams. Now you got a, a, a debate between a Big 12 champ, if it's undefeated Oklahoma, you got Cincinnati maybe out there, and maybe Oregon yeah. could be out there if they're, if they're 12 and 1. You know, if you're an Ohio yeah. State fan, you need Oregon just to be sure. You want Oregon to, to lose. You don't want to get into that, well, we beat Ohio State kind of thing. So if you're yeah. an Ohio State fan, you want to Oregon slip up. But, uh, that, man, it's just so much still that can happen. You know, that's what that's what makes it so great. Hey, Kirk, I'm going to let you go, man. But uh, just real quick, you and Chris are calling the game uh, on Saturday night in Ohio Stadium. You know, do you – 
I think you're as objective as, as anybody out there. How do you divorce yourself when you when you walk into that stadium? You know, maybe even see the rotunda uh, before you you know you're walking in uh, and stuff. How do you divorce yourself from what you know? You 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 have blood, sweat, and tears left on that football field down below you, even though it's like 15 feet lower than it used to be. <laughs> but uh, how do you divorce yourself yeah. from just what you laid on the line for that university and that team, and then calling the game? Is it or do you not? You know, because that's one of the reasons you're probably sitting where you are right now was just the background you got and stuff. But how do you deal with those emotions every every time you show up? Well, that's what it is, emotions, because yeah. it's not just blood, sweat, and tears on that field. It's I am I am an emotional Ohio State fan in every way, every aspect still. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon, Saturday is the teams are warming up internally as the team's warming up i'm a ohio state fanatic like you're never going to meet a bigger ohio state fanatic uh, yeah. and now the game starts i'm not it's not that i divorce myself i just have an ability to analyze whatever i see i'm just going to talk about the game some of it's good for ohio state some of it's going to be good for penn state it's never been a thought in my mind oh i better show people I'm objective. I just, it's just simple. I talk about the game yeah. and if it's really good for Ohio state, it's really good. And if it's, I just, the, the game dictates what I say and um, it makes it very easy to compliment Ohio state because they do a lot of good things. But if they, you know, CJ Stroud throws five picks and Ohio state gets blown out Saturday, I'll be talking about Penn state's defense and a great job that they're doing. You know, I'll just be very analytical. Yeah. And then after the game, I'll be very sad that Ohio State lost a game. But, um, dude, I am the same guy I was as an eight-year-old. Um, now I'm 52, and I'm just calling games for a living. And, but man, I am a, you know, I'm a diehard Ohio State fan. I watch everything, uh, Ohio State basketball. I mean, you name it, I'm all in. So, yeah, it's, it's, I've been doing it now 26 years, so it's – you know, you, you, you kind of get accustomed to, to doing Ohio State games. But um, I, I just – best way to describe it, I analyze the game. The good, the bad, the ugly. You just analyze it and break it down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you I, know. I, will say, I, I will say this. It's the first time I've been back having a son on the sideline. You know, Zach's yeah. a preferred walk-on that's, that's there and wearing number 89. And, you know, to see him in a pregame – um, on the field in his uniform yeah. will be really cool for me because it'll be the first time. I, my wife's been back. Uh, Allie's been back quite a bit with my youngest son, Chase. But uh, and my son, Jake, who goes to school there now, they all get a chance to see him. And, and friends of mine, you know, they, they send pictures of him. Um, and on game day, one day, they they showed, you know, Zach, you know, his uniform. But to see him there, that. You know, I, it makes me think of my dad, myself. I mean, it's three generations now that have that have worn that uniform. So that that part of it, I think, yeah, you know, I'm not numb to that, or it's not that I have a blind eye. I'm very, very aware of that, and that'll that'll probably I'm I'm kind of an emotional guy. That'll probably bring a tear to my eye just to see my son Zach uh, out there wearing wearing that uniform. Dude, I got goosebumps when you. I was just about to bring that up, but I got goosebumps when you brought it up. I mean, yeah, I can't think of anything better. You know, I mean, it's uh, wow. Well. Uh, what a family legacy there, too, man. I mean, it's crazy. Hey, uh, I'll let you go, man. I really, truly appreciate you, Kirk. You know that, man. And uh, 
You know, you've always been one of my favorites. I always say that all the time. Every time I have an ex-buck owner, I talk about him, one of my favorites. But you'd be in that elite category. <laughs> you and Eddie, you know, Orlando. Yeah, yeah. You and I go way back, man. I, I appreciate you. And I'll, anytime you call, I'm always here for you, man. You know that. Yeah. And I, I just want to say this. My, my high school coach, Bob Craig, yes. he passed away. He passed away uh, on Sunday. He was 88 years old. Uh, Ohio High School Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm such a huge fan of Ohio high school football and the coaches. You talk to anybody on a national level, there's such an appreciation for Ohio high school football. The coaches that are out there, you know, they, these guys get the game. Old school approach in many cases, much like my coach Greg was. And yeah. Just real lucky to have him in my life. And I uh, just want to encourage all those coaches that are out there. You, you guys, you know, I know you're all trying to win a state championship and win games, but the, the, the difference that you make in, in players' lives, that's so much more important than just trying to win games. And, and, you know, Bob Gregg, you talk to anybody that played against Centerville or especially played for Centerville yeah. for Bob Gregg would tell you that the difference that he made in so many so many kids' lives who played for him, it's just kind of a Vince Lombardi, Bo Schembechler, old school, Woody Hayes kind of guy. And uh, just, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have full hearts, but, really reminiscing and appreciating everything he's done for us in our lives. Absolutely, man. 301 wins, number one. But number two, like you said, what what did you do for me off the field? Give me give me just one little, you know, short example of some, some interaction you had with him that still sticks with you. Well, he, he was a, a throwback guy. And the bigger superstar you became, the tougher he was on you. So, like, as I became a guy that was being recruited, it was almost like he wanted to prove to people that, you know, like, this guy's not special. So he would go out of his way to kind of come at me and test me. And, and I learned at a really young age about respect and humility and um, perseverance and hard work and waking up at five in the morning and doing things that I never knew that mentally I, I was capable of doing. And some point in your life, you whether it's a, a drill instructor and, you know, in the Marine Corps at Paris Island or somewhere along the way, you learn. Uh, hopefully you get a chance to learn about mental toughness and, and being a part of a team and, and how the team's so much more important than you and your own your own drive to become great individually comes second to, to what we're trying to accomplish as a team. And he, he taught me that and then reinforced that as I got some individual attention. I would deflect. As soon as the media wanted to talk to me about anything about me, I instantly deflected anything and everything. And I, to this day, I do that. I I hate individual attention. I hate individual accolades. I think it all goes back to, number one, the way I'm wired. Number two, the way he taught me that the team, team is so much more important than you. And it's just, there's so many things I can tell you that I, I learned from him that, you know, you, you use, whether it's as an employee, uh, a husband, a father, every, every aspect of your life. I, I go back and a lot of my buddies, you know, you know, Darren Brown, all, all of us yeah. are still good friends to this day. We all go back to the stuff that he taught us and, and helped mold us to the, to the people we are today. I mean, he deserves all the credit. And uh, like I said, there's so many great high school coaches out there that, that are doing the same thing. So when I, when I think of him, I think of Ohio high school football and, and, um, and, and those valuable life lessons we all learned along the way. That's what I love about your book, man, that you did. You know, Gene Wojciechowski uh, basically put it together for you. But your book, I mean, you didn't just tell – incidents you told the stories and the lessons learned 
before, during, and after the incidents. And uh, that's why your book, I, I think it's probably selling pretty well at this point, but uh, came out in late yeah. summer. But uh, I enjoyed talking to you about that on my podcast way back in the, in the spring. And people can go back and listen to that too if they're interested. But uh, yeah, the lessons you can pick up, man, are just crazy around organized sports if you've got the right leader in charge, right? Amen. Amen, man. So glad you gave me a chance to talk about him. And uh, like I said, I always love coming on with you. Maybe we can uh, we can do it. Buckeyes keep winning games. Maybe we can do a big one around the Ohio State-Michigan game. Hey, yeah. Uh, and by the way, hold a spot on me or the elevator going down uh, again uh, this week. This week, okay? So you always hold that elevator just for you, man. It's always special. Kirk Kirkstreet, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, man, it's always a pleasure to get Kirk, get Kirk Herbstreit on my uh, podcast. Awesome. And, uh, you know, he and I get to talking football. It's kind of like when you and I get to talking. The the clock doesn't stand still for sure. It, it, if anything, it goes around and around and around. But uh, always enjoy having him on, and he was quite entertaining. You agree, right? Always, yeah. I'll gladly cede uh, as much time as necessary to Kirk Herbstreit if he wants to keep coming around. Well, I'll tell you what, my last few podcasts have been really stem winders, if you if you follow my drift. So if you and I can keep it terse here the la- in the next uh, several minutes, that would be great. But, you know, you, you're willing to talk and uh, – say as much as you want as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I know you're willing to. I said that wrong. You're welcome to. Uh, But with that said, let's get right right into it. Three weeks ago, this looked like a big-time collision coming, Ohio State versus Penn State. Then Penn State loses on the road at Iowa, lost its quarterback in the middle of that game, and went offenseless the rest of the day at Iowa and loses that game. Goes in, Sean Clifford returns after an off week and uh, definitely was not – you know, Penn State was trying to play left-handed, trying to run the ball a little bit more than maybe it wants to, instead of pushing the ball down the field with this passing game and paid the price in that game. Gets upset by a two-win team, Illinois. They get upset at home. Uh, what's your just your general feeling right now early in this week as we look forward to Saturday night uh, about what's coming Saturday night? Well, I don't know. It depends on if James Franklin wants to coach Penn State this week or if he's more worried about uh, the rosters in in uh, Los Angeles or Baton Rouge. I mean, wow. uh, I think that there's part of this, these struggles that are going on for Penn State that, that lay at his feet. And it's not the first time I've said that about James Franklin, but it's not a secret either that he's been desirous of leaving that place. And now the opportunity, there's two big jobs out there that would both merit his attention and his desire to leave. And, you know, I didn't think that Penn State, as talented as they are, 
compared to everybody else in the Big Ten except Ohio State, was really ever going to pose that significant of a threat. I didn't believe in Sean Clifford that much before he was hurt. Certainly, you know, I don't have any way to be proved, proven right or wrong about this now, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to even say it. But, I mean, the way he is physically right now would have no chance against Ohio State, in my opinion. Um, the defense, they've played some encouraging games, but you, know, you, you mentioned this earlier and you were talking with Kirk, like, the fact that Illinois can just go out there and they didn't punch in drives, but like, you know what? We're, we don't see anything at defensive tackle or up front that can slow down this running attack. That's just what we're going to do. Yeah. And their passing game was obviously limited, but I don't care how many times you run it. Like the fact that Penn state would know without a doubt that Illinois was going to run it over and over and over 60 plus times. And then to still give up over 300, well over 300 yards rushing. That's a problem because guess what? Yeah. The best offensive line in America is on tap on Saturday night. Travion Henderson is as fresh as can be because he still only had nine rushing attempts uh, at Indiana and has only had one Big Ten game this season with double-digit carries. He's fresh. So that's not even with it getting into C.J. Stroud in the passing. And, and Mayan Williams. Do not discount Mayan Williams, what he brought. But you're exactly right. Go ahead. Yeah. Evan fire. I yeah. mean, any of them. Yeah. Those guys have to absolutely be licking their chops. Yeah. I, you know – you know, when you agree with somebody, it doesn't make for much of a conversation. And I agree with you 100. percent And and awesome. It's not just that, but the uh, I got quiet because I sometimes scream too much. I get excited. Uh, I just, you know, when I see Ohio State all of a sudden getting a huddle there on that first on that first drive, you know, number one, they came out, ran the ball, didn't didn't give Indiana. I'm talking about Indiana the other night. Didn't give Indiana a chance to even line up defensively. They get in a huddle and then they scream up to the to the line of scrimmage and run a play quickly. You know, how many times have we seen Ohio – we saw Ohio State huddle more in that game, maybe more in that first drive than they've huddled in the last eight years. Um, uh, it's just every week there's something new that Ryan Day and, and Kevin Wilson and these guys are throwing yeah. out there. To They already have probably the most talented roster offensively in the Big Ten, but they are enhancing it with scheme – and, you know, who knows what's coming this week. Like you just said, we've talked about this on my podcast before. If they wanted to be an over-the-road, plow-the-road running football team, they have the depth at tailback – excuse me, running back. There's no – well, they did have a tailback a couple of times, you know, earlier this year when they lined up in the eye. But they have the ability to do that against somebody and throw the ball five times. You know what I mean? Uh, they really do. And – and yet they have this ridiculous passing attack that you saw enhancements to even the other night. Uh, and C.J. Stroud is just getting better and better. Right before, yes, who did they play? They played Indiana. Indiana had, what, two wins going into that game. But they beat the hell out of Indiana, uh, yeah. which had problems, obviously, offensively at quarterback and other and other places. And on defense, were missing their probably their two best corners. But they beat that team worse than they were supposed to beat that team. That's what you. Sh that's what people should be taking away from this. You agree? Yeah, I mean, ask Oklahoma how fun it is to go on the road and play uh, <laughs> a conference opponent that's overmatched. I mean, look, college football games are hard to win, and I know that that like, you know, sounds easy or is exaggerated that the good teams yeah. should always win every single game they play. It doesn't happen. That's that's why we all watch this sport, and why even a Saturday. It looked like it was going to be one of the most, you know, 
you know, walk through boring ones on the schedule of the season turned out to be pretty wildly entertaining, including Illinois upsetting Penn State and, and taking some of the shine off of the game here this week. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to go out ready to play every single week. Uh, and it, it's, it just, it sounds like a cliche or like you're pitching the sport to somebody, but it's just the absolute truth. These games are hard to win. So the fact that there are all, all these things that could have, you know, distracted Ohio state, they could have, they're on the road, they, they're three touchdown favorites. Oh, it's raining. They didn't, none of that stuff phased them. And with the exception of one defensive drive uh, in the first quarter, which yeah. then they immediately, you know, corrected as the game went on. I think they played 75 yards. Yeah. I think they gave up fewer yards for the rest of the game than they gave up on that one drive. Yeah, but I'm Again, saying but they retaliated five plays, 75 yards, and one of those typical lightning drives. I'm talking about Ohio State did, yeah. Exactly. But he, but you mentioned that earlier on. Like, yeah. what did you miss if you just evaluated them on one defensive drive? Well, the rest of the game was more productive than the first drive was and wound up with 14 tackles for loss and five sacks. And Yeah. Uh, you know, those – again, those are just facts. So, yeah. Yeah. you know – I think you have to assign some value to that because there's there's really no other option. You're just going to wait and make a judgment uh, on the playoff? Well, you have to get to the playoff by beating the teams in the Big Ten. It's not Ohio State's fault that they, that, that they can only be judged that way or, or that some only want to judge them that way because they've built this monster and the rest of the Big Ten can't keep up. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, Ohio State has to – go off the road into the ditch and flip over a few times, really, uh, the next several games. I mean, I think Michigan State has definitely improved. I think Nebraska, you know, they're going to be, you know, it's going to be their last shot to really maybe in the Scott Frost era to prove it can beat a team. You know what I mean? Uh, There are all these challenges that are are coming, but Ohio State will have to help those teams. The Michigan-Michigan State game this week uh, is going to be quite the harbinger I do believe on what could be coming at the end of the year. Cause of course, Ohio state plays Michigan state and Michigan back to back one in Ohio stadium and the game at Michigan. And uh, you know, those are, those prove, those are going to be going to prove to be real, real uh, I don't know, bellwethers. I think for this Ohio state team, how it handles that. But like you just said, like we said in August, Ohio state's going to be the best team on the field each Saturday when it shows up the rest of this year, it's going to have to beat itself. And it's looking more and more like it's got a quarterback that's championship caliber and a defense that's growing right in front of your eyes. I mean, uh, there's no doubt about the progress. I think that the last part of what you said there is what's important. Uh, The stats that we talked about defensively for Ohio state that improved as the game went on, you know, Timus Powell said something a few weeks ago that really resonated he, he was, it was in a, maybe it wasn't even publicly, maybe it was in just a text that you know, people react to those first quarters and that they might look slow. Or, yeah. He said, whatever happens on the first drive or even at the end of the first quarter, it doesn't matter to him. There's lots of sweeping judgments, and that's the way that fandom works. That's the way that analysis works in the media. You're going to react to what you see, and what you see is the first quarter. Yeah. And to him, from a player's perspective, he, said, he understands it. So unless it's truly terrible you just write the first quarter off because that's when you're making adjustments. You're feeling out the opponent. A lot of what the offense is doing is scripted. Uh, and then once you get into the game, you know, then the things start really getting more interesting. 
And what happened for Ohio State after seven to seven? They won four. They scored the next forty-seven points in the game. So you know that that's. I think that that's important to keep in mind because the same is also true. I think on a larger scale for the way that this Ohio State team has grown, particularly on defense from week one or week two, there was a lot of feeling out. Now, obviously it counted. They lost those games. I'm not erasing them from the record. And you don't get to erase the score in the first quarter either. It all counts towards what you're working on. But, you know, they they were playing a lot of guys because they were trying to figure out who needed to be on the field. They were doing some things schematically that didn't really fit. You know, all those things, that was the early feeling out process. Yep. And it did put them in a hole where they can't lose again. But, man, when we sat there on whatever that was, September 11th, and said, you can either be the 2018 Buckeyes or the 2014 Buckeyes, they obviously have to prove it for five, six games now. But the, the curve for this team, I think they're even, they're even on a more exponential growth curve than that team was that won the title. And here's the other thing that they've got going for them right now. You know, Travion Henderson was coming along. Obviously, that big play against Minnesota, everybody remembers uh, the little burst right. he had on that on that on that flip flip left. Uh, but now they they look so much more potent offensively um, and and competent in what they can do running the ball. I mean, just lining up and blowing people up running the ball. And with Mayan Williams coming back, you know, I really. Truly believe he is the second back on this team. I mean, I think you agree with me on that. I don't think there's a debate, but just the one, two, three right. punch they can throw at you running back wise, maybe even four punch with Evan Pryor and Aaron Master Teague if he gets to come back this week. Uh, missed last week's game. You know, I thought one of their big concerns would be picking up the the blitz that was coming, the blitzes that were going to be coming from Indiana with Master Teague maybe not available for maybe some of those plays. Well, number one, they were running plays so fast. I think uh, Indiana blitzed uh, only only three times of the first, like, seven or eight plays Ohio State ran from scrimmage because Ohio State was running their plays so fast. It was crazy. Uh, just you're, you're just seeing additional things added or come online maybe is a better part about it. But the way Travion Henderson is running right now, uh, if if they did give him the ball 25 times a game and he could handle that, wow, we'd be looking at one of the great rushing years in Ohio State history. But they don't have to do that. They don't have to. They don't have to throw a freshman to the wolves to the uh, combine machine. They can just keep mixing it up, and that's that's really it's really astounding how good they could be on offense, isn't it? Well, yeah, because we mentioned Jeremy Ruckert and. Kate Stover had a nice little catch and run on Saturday night. So yeah. you added in the tight end, but the other part is the most obvious one that can still be added to this offense, which is, as you said, letting Travion Henderson, when you get into a big game, letting him work and build up that lather and get rolling the way all running backs want to do with a rhythm and, and a heavy workload. I mean, it, it's crazy the, how few touches he's had in big 10 games. Yeah. Starting with that one, mentioned, it was just three against Minnesota, you know, only double digits, I believe, against Maryland at 16, yeah. uh, 16 carries against that. Every other one has been fewer than 10. Like, that's a lot of a lot of tread left on the tires and a lot more that teams just haven't even seen from him. Um, everybody knows how dangerous he is because he's turning that limited amount of touches, which I think Spencer told me, and I'd have to double check, the, the stats on Monday hadn't been fully updated. Fewer than 100 touches and 14 touchdowns already. Yeah. Like, it's... He's, it's absolutely uh, 
mind blowing to think about what he's doing. Well, yeah, and man, they get him out there on the edge or out there, sort of like left or right on a screen when you've like now circumvented the defensive line and now he's one on one. He's getting, you know, that one touchdown he had on the screen, catch and run. Oh, my goodness. I mean, not only did he make a couple of good moves and run through maybe an arm tackle, but the blocks he got from his comrades were just out of sight. And just all these little wrinkles they keep adding every week uh, that just have, have got to send defensive coordinators into a tizzy as they prep, you know. But then, you know, you, you know, you know Ryan Day. I know Ryan Day a little bit. Uh, does he have the uh, disposition to line up and run the ball 60, 50, or 60 times total against a Penn State on Saturday night? Do you, do you, I mean, he's got these other toys he wants to play with, right? I mean, uh, but he, but they could, they could do, they could have an Illinois game plan on Saturday night against Penn State, and I think be quite effective as you just touched on. Do you remember the buildup to the 2019 showdown with Penn State? Yeah. What were what were we ta- what was everybody asking about harping on talking about all week? Ooh, this Penn State rush defense—it's the yeah. best in America. You know, I don't know if anyone can run on it. Boy, that's going to be a real test for Ohio State. I think was it eight or nine? Nine straight plays. I'm going to say, yeah. Drive right down the field. No passes completed. Nine rushing touchdowns. It nine rushes into the end zone, and it was like. That's the competitive side that we've talked about on Ryan Day, that like six days of the week, he's just this pretty low-key, cool, casual guy. But all that stuff it comes out on Saturday, and you saw him Come. dancing around in the head bob and going before on kickoff on Saturday. Yeah. It's like, you don't, you don't, you thought Penn State's rush defense was good? Watch this. And that, that trickles down to the whole team. Yeah. I mean, that was that you just stood there and like, wait a minute, they didn't even, even complete a pass on that drive, just ran it right down Penn State's throat. I was like, all right, well, that's going to be it for the Nittany Lions because they yeah. just sent that message that they're yeah. going to dominate this game. So North, could they do that? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that they could. Yeah, Northwestern, the Big Ten Championship game last year, second half, after he figured out, yeah, that's the Trey Sermon that transferred from Oklahoma that we thought he was, and we don't have Chris Olave. Bam, you know, I mean, uh, we saw it before he did, you know, and it was interesting, but yes – you're exactly right. And, boy, the the emotion he brought to bear there in that big team huddle uh, at, at after pregame warm-ups, I don't think I've ever seen that from him on the field in that regard. You know, I don't necessarily always watch those, but it's usually like Luke Whippler. This year's been Luke Whippler, some other player doing that. I mean, Ryan Day with a, knew his team was coming off a, a, a an off week, knew they had to bring it. You know, they were playing in the rain at Indiana – and he, he definitely was going to make sure he did his part to rile him up. And, he, wow, it was crazy, right, to watch that. That was one reason why I asked him about just the mood of the team after the game because uh, we were down there for warm-ups. I wasn't down there when Ryan Day was doing that dance, but we all saw it. Yeah. But they the way that they came out, you know, Chris Olave would, would catch a, a deep throw as they're going through warm-ups, get to the end zone. And during a game, he likes to do a lot of – shaking hands and being all business, but he caught a touchdown on air and just started, you know, busting out some dance moves. And we've seen the wide receivers and quarterbacks do that, that huddling up and all the dance moves and, and like the smiles, the, the dancing, the singing to the songs in the stadium, all of it's different. I just, 
when I, when I was talking about that earlier, how different the mood around the team is, that's what, what I'm talking about, really. You, you know before kickoff, you know, kind of what the mindset of that team is. And I knew from watching them, there was no way they were going to lose to Indiana. I thought there was, or I thought there was no chance because of how confident they looked. And that really wasn't the way that they went through warmups in week two against Oregon. Yeah. And this is not an excuse or any of that, but like, remember that was the first time that some of these people had even been in the horseshoe, certainly with fans um, you know, the whole deal of going to the Blackwell and team walk and skull session, like I'm sure that for these guys that were inexperienced, that was overwhelming for them. Like they're having to learn how to do a pregame and then you have to play Oregon because their opener was on the road. Uh, like, again, that's not to make an excuse for them. That was just the reality of it. Yeah. And I don't know whether that bothered them or not, but when you watch them at like whatever that was, 1130 on that Saturday morning compared to the way they were, walking around at six o'clock on Saturday night. It couldn't be more different. Yeah. Agreed. hundred uh, percent. Hey, last thing. Um, the bad thing about Illinois beating a, beating a Penn state uh, for, for big 10 fans is does, does the league lose a lot of luster team going from seven to 20? And I could see justifiably taking that team from seven to 20 was his second loss. People go, well, Alabama lost to Texas A&M. Well, Texas A&M had two losses. Uh, uh, going into that game, uh, Illinois had two wins going into the game against Penn State a few weeks later. You know, I mean, there are all kinds of reasons why you would drop a team because they didn't look very good offensively. And finally, in the end, they couldn't make the defensive play to save the day either. I think right. your defense is still pretty sound, pretty good. Uh, I agree with you how you size it up a minute ago. But this is the cannibal cannibalization uh, of a conference, right, as it goes – as it goes on and on, you've got all these teams sitting up there in the top 10 and you know, it's not going to end up that way. What's your crystal ball? What's your crystal ball holding right now? Cause I think uh, the big, the big, uh, the next big shooter drop is Michigan or Michigan state, obviously this weekend. Uh, what's your crystal ball showing? Is it showing an unbeaten Michigan hosting a one loss Ohio state in four or five weeks? It is not. In fact, I think Michigan will lose to Michigan State this week. And I think Michigan State is closer to the most complete team uh, to give Ohio State a challenge than anybody else. And I, I thought that two weeks ago during the off week and then watched them kind of struggle against the same Indiana team. And it's not a knock on the Spartans because of all the things that I also said about how hard college football is. Like they went on the road and they had, you know, weren't clicking on all cylinders, found a way to get a win. And that's meaningful for Mel Tucker and, and that team. Like, I think they have solid players. And I think from what they've shown, they're very well coached. But the difference in talent between Ohio State and everybody else is so significant that also what you said earlier about driving off the ditch is correct. Like, Ohio State has to Wait, really no. make some mistakes. Not just driving off into the ditch, but then flip it. But go ahead. Flip it a couple <laughs> yeah. of times. Like, yeah. That part I think is true just because uh, the, the talent assembled is just different. Um, yeah. But I think that Michigan State is a very good team. I am not as convinced still about Michigan. I know they wound up with a nice margin of victory against Northwestern. I have a lot of concerns about them offensively, especially a quarterback. Um, you know, Penn State, like the East, those teams we pay closer attention to. Yeah, I don't know that any of them can stay within 14 points of Ohio State. Yeah. Um, 
I think what's really interesting now is that crystal ball starts forecasting Indianapolis to, to spin it way ahead. Uh, it's the point that, that my head's kind of been at. Like Minnesota has a real, real chance to win the West. Yeah. And people, you know, we saw how competitive they made it because they had a ton of veteran players when they lost uh, Mo, Mo Ibrahim, which is unfortunate for them. But then they've had four other running backs get 100-yard days since then. Um, they still have a chance. You know, they're going to have a big one at Iowa, and then they host Wisconsin. Uh, you know, that, that's a little bit of jostling going on there. Whatever happened against Bowling Green, I didn't see that whole game, and I can't believe the score still. But it doesn't affect them in the Big Ten race. No. And they are solidly in position to win it. And that's, that's a veteran defense. They, they threw some stuff at C.J. Stroud in that first start. Made it tough. I don't think that they could compete with them indoors in, in December. Uh, when you get on that fast track for Ohio State. But I'm starting to think that that crystal ball now has an Ohio State-Minnesota rematch. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to feel that way also. By the way, you're, you know, you, you're not young enough. You're not old enough to remember this. But uh, when Northwestern got beat by Miami of Ohio way back when, and he came back and won the Big, won the big Ten championship uh, way back in the <laughs> mid-'90s, I think Pat Fitzgerald was – playing linebacker then there, but uh, yeah. heavily with that. <laughs> occasionally you get these games like Kansas, Oklahoma the other day, you know, Illinois, Penn state, you never, they just come out of the blue, you know, and, uh, and that's where your great players, you know, have to carry you. They have to make the plays that make the difference. And I think, like you said, the more great players you've got on your roster, like Ohio state does, that's when they come to the rescue, you know, usually. And uh, you know, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just intrigued by the West, by the West of it, more intrigued by the West division than I am the East right now. Cause I think it's going to play out exactly as you just said, you know, obviously playing at Michigan is going to be a tall order for this Ohio state team. It will be no matter what, it will still be a measuring stick for both programs <laughs> again. Uh, yep. but, uh, but like you said, don't put the car before the horse. Uh, I'm running out of cliches here, so I'm going to end it. Uh, but I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you, and that that part is important to remember, though, Tim. As you said, yeah. like you, the, the next one is big. Yeah. If because any team can get it right and it can click and all the things, whatever it is, motivation. They're talented. Penn State yeah. is good. I'm not. I'm not doubting that whatsoever. They are probably the second most talented team in this league, but the pieces don't fit all that well together. But they only have to one time. Yeah. And. They, Ohio State has lost to worse teams, thinking of the Purdue and Iowa games, obviously, that cost them in the national title race. Worst teams in Penn State can jump up and have one really good day against you. So that part, as you said with the cliche, you can't overlook Penn State by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, agreed. Hey, we'll go here. We'll go here next week because I'm running out of time. Actually, we could talk forever because it's unlimited. It's on the internet. But uh, and we'll we'll forecast where we think James Franklin is going to end up. You know, I still say USC, but I could be wrong. Uh, but uh, he'll have to answer that, you know, to his team at a later date. But uh, hey, awesome! Thanks once again for joining the Tim May podcast, man. Have you gotten the water out of your ears yet from Saturday night? You know, it was really comfortable in the press box, but uh, dude, we'll check with check with Berm. He. he he will tell you every every time he sees you this week, probably. He was checking the forecast. He's always concerned about the forecast. Yes. Starts looking at the next week, like on Sunday, the game. Like, yeah. He didn't have any rain gear because it wasn't supposed to start until midnight. It said 0%. In fact, it was like 530, and we're standing down there waiting for the team to arrive, and it still said 0%. 
Yeah. It was about to start raining, and it was saying 0% while it rained the whole game. It's kind of like having a leaky roof. You know what I mean? You think you got it covered, but you don't. Uh, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> God bless us, man, for getting into sports writing, uh, the sports writing fields, because I, I went to the uh, – uh, Virginia Tech at a Notre Dame game uh, two years ago uh, during one of the Ohio State off weeks. The same year I went to the uh, Alabama Texas A&M game and I'm sitting out there and it's 30, I think it's 32, 33 degrees. It was snowing off and on and then the sun would come out and then it would snow again and then the sun would come out and I'm freezing. My feet are freezing. I'm with a buddy of mine and I'm just going, I went to go to the bathroom. It took me almost the entire second quarter to wait in line to go to the bathroom. I uh, was going to get something to drink, but the line was, out. you know, I just go, you know, thank you, Lord, for steering me toward becoming a sports writer where I don't have those problems. And, you know, and you kind of get an idea why more and more it looks like people are going, yeah, I think I'll just watch this one on my big screen at home, right? That's right. Hey, those fans are a hell of a lot tougher than us, and I'll give them credit well, for Well, I'll tell you what, man, the place looked packed uh, the other night or – or the full capacity at Indiana, middle of the second quarter. Oh my goodness! It looked like they were playing Ball State. I mean, it was like people had gone home. They'd seen enough. I think Ball State was on its way to scoring thirty-seven points in the second quarter. Wow! What what, what a downpour, right? They started leaving after the safety, which I think made it twenty-three to seven. Yeah, and they're like, "All right, uh, we know how this is ending. It's the weather's terrible. We're going to the bars in Bloomington." And hey. I don't blame them for that either. Sometimes yeah. you got to make you got to make a business decision. I think you pointed out on Twitter. I think it was you that pointed out there was a traffic jam of people leaving uh, the stadium in the second quarter. That's rare. You don't see that a lot, you know. But uh, the best the best time to beat traffic was to actually watch the game. Yes, exactly, and that's what my mom would have made us do because she paid good money for those tickets. That's what she always told us. <laughs> hey, awesome! Yep. Thanks again for joining the Tim May podcast, my man, and. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us again also. I hope you listen to this whole thing. Remember, you can always download this and listen when you're just driving around. But you know what? Until next week when we uh, dice up this uh, Penn State game, it's it's still a key game for Ohio State. Awesome and I will be back. We'll be dicing up. We'll have a little another guest or two on too. But until then, for Awesome more, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.